The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the Voyager first season episode, Faces. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very good. And Merry Christmas to you both. And Likewise. Merry Christmas to you as well. As, as uh, our listeners. And to the listeners. And to the listeners. Yes, as our listeners receive this, that's uh, Christmas just passed. So uh, we are in now in the Christmas season. Uh, and as a wonderful Christmas present to your friends and family, you could share this podcast with them. <laughs> it's just a cheap uh, promotional gimmick there. But please share the podcast with your uh, Trek-loving friends. Help us grow this wonderful community that uh, we've we've got here and to help us reach more listeners. I want to mention another show that you're going to love on the StarQuest Network called The Secrets of Doctor Who, where the three of us talk about Doctor Who. And perfect timing, the... New Year's special of Doctor Who is about to drop, and then we're going to talk about it right afterward. So check it out if you have any interest in Doctor Who at all. If you're just getting started, now's a great time to start listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who. Uh, you can find it wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash Doctor Who. So we are talking this time about the Star Trek Voyager first season episode called Faces, which is the 14th production number, although the the, the first two episodes were... Uh, a uh, a double episode, but it's the 14th episode of this first season. And Jimmy, can you give us a recap of this? This week, Kirk beams down to a really cold planet, but when he beams back up, he's accidentally split into two people, one good, <laughs> one evil. Oh, sorry, wrong Star Trek series. Um, this week on Voyager, Janeway murders Tuvix by using a transporter to split him into two people, one Tuvok, one Neelix. Um, guess that's the wrong episode. Um, this week on the episode Faces, a Vidian doctor murders Balana using a medical transporter to split her into two people, one Klingon, one human. He does this because he thinks Klingons may have super COVID resistant genes, but he needs a pure Klingon <laughs> specimen to test his theory. So he infects Klingon Balana with the phage and she fights it off. And he was right about that. But he kills a newly introduced, never-to-be-seen-again Starfleet officer and grossly grafts his face onto his own in an attempt to seduce Klingon Balana. So she attacks him and escapes. Meanwhile, human Balana is acting like the emotionally fragile good Kirk and has to learn courage without her Klingon genes. Meanwhile, Chakotay impersonates a Vidian and infiltrates their underground base to help with the escape. In the end, Klingon and human Balana earn each other's respect. True, they do have interpersonal conflict over issues like who has a bad temper, who is weak, who acts without thinking, and who refuses to act at all. But in the end, there is only one solution. Balana must act together. But <laughs> creepy Vidian doctor reemerges and fatally wounds Klingon Balana. After the escape, the doctor says human Balana needs the Klingon DNA to survive, duh, and begins uh, plans to resaddle human Balana with her Klingon heritage, the end. I do want to point out, by the way, that Durst does show up in one 
uh, previous. Other, uh, previous episode, Cathexis, which was, I think, the one just before this. Right before this. Yeah, yeah. Right, right before this. Which yeah. is why I said newly introduced, newly introduced rather right. than never before seen. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. So a little bit of background on this episode. And thank you for that uh, excellent recap, Jimmy. That, that, uh, that covers it pretty well. Uh, a lot of the writers in the writer's room of Voyager apparently didn't want to do this story. They thought that the evil twin idea was tired, which it is. And why go right on the nose for the thing that makes Bolana so interesting? I thought that was a, that was interesting in and of itself that they they opposed this. And I think they were right. I think uh, there are elements of this that are that are an interesting story. But right off the bat in the first season, going right to the Bolana's twin sides thing was a little bit on the nose for the character. What do you guys think of that? I think it could have been more interesting if it was more than one episode. You know, mm-hmm. if they would have introduced the Klingon side and the human side and played around with it for a while instead of, oh, by the way, we got to go back to status quo because medical reasons. Right. Because that's how we do it. Yeah. Yeah. As, as thinking from a writing perspective, I would be inclined. I would have been in, I, I I wouldn't have done it this soon. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I would have been inclined to make either a permanent character change. Or a, I mean, and this is just thinking as a writer, not thinking in terms of how would the fans react. Yep. But thinking as a writer, I would be, I would be interested in seeing like Klingon Balana dies and that's it. Mm -hmm. And we've got human Balana from here on out and she has to learn to deal with the fact that she's part of a person and she's radically different now than she used to be. And maybe she's haunted by the ghost of her Klingon self. And even has conversations with it, you know, Mm -hmm. even if it's just a memory or something. So I would make it an ongoing concern and eventually find some way and maybe at some point reintroduce her Klingon genes. Mm -hmm. But I would be inclined to make it a more complex, longer lasting story. Yeah, that would be that. And if again, in a modern context, that would that's probably how they would do it. Um, Oh, I don't know. (laughs) Start modern Star Trek does. Lots of stuff I wouldn't advise well, from a writing perspective. Right. I'm thinking more of like a modern show. If it were like the, the, that, mm-hmm. was, that's the sort of thing that a show today would do because it didn't, it wasn't, this was much more episodic than, than mm-hmm. a lot of shows are today. Um, Something Babylon 5 would have done. Des- yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I, I agree. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I, actually, I like that idea better. <laughs> it would have been a more interesting show. <laughs> for, for what they did, I actually think this could have been a lot worse. Yes. There, there are paint-by-numbers aspects to the writing. Of course, Klingon Balana is going to behave this way. Of course, Human Balana is going to behave that way. But they establish a reasonable balance. Mm-hmm. Um, and unlike, and it's, it's, it's better and softer than like the good Kirk, bad Kirk thing right. from the original series. Yeah. I mean, it's okay to go that broad the first time you do it, but if this had been that broad with just violent, irrational Balana and timid, compassionate Balana that was just a knockoff of the two Kirks, it's like, okay, that has been done. Yeah. Here they at least softened it and changed the dynamic and have the two characters working together constructively. And and, and, and that will give yeah. credit to I'll give credit to Roxanne Dawson for that. I mean, she yeah. played both, you know, very, very different characters. They're both very different characters from the normal Bolana character to begin with, you know, and she can right. play that contrast and, you know, play it where it is not quite as extreme as like the Kirk character, because of course, you know, William Shatner isn't exactly what you would call a 
good actor in my opinion. Or, but anyways, a subtle I said it. You're I said not a it. subtle one. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, I think she did, you know, a great job playing these two very different characters that were very different from the, the main character. So uh, give her credit for that. Apparently she was freaked out by the, by the script when she first got it. Like, oh my gosh, what are you doing to me? I'm not sure I yeah. can do this. So yeah, give her credit for that. Now you mentioned the character Durst, who's played by Brian Markins- Markinson. <clears throat> he is he's the one who gets his face ripped off and and Grafted. spliced onto the Vidian yeah. Doctor. He also plays the Vidian Doctor. To yes, get that easier. Yeah, but if you recognize him, he's been in a bunch of other stuff. He's been oh, yeah. in other Star Trek series. Um, you may remember him from DS Nine. He was um he played Doctor Geiger who is obsessed with immortality in the lions and geigers and bears episode. Oh my. Oh my. Which was the one <laughs> set just on the eve of the, of the dominion war where Jake really wants to buy a baseball card for his father. And they mm-hmm. have to go through these elaborate procedures that expose them to the crazy conspiracy theories of Dr. Geiger. Um, also on uh, Stargate SG one, he played Lotan. And so he's he's been around the sci-fi franchises. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, I, he is very recognizable. So, yeah, that, that's true. I, now I'm thinking about that, Lotan. Um, the, another thing I want to mention was uh, about the Vidians. So Michael Piller was one of the producers uh, on the show. And you probably you'd say he had the most influence on Voyager in, in, as a whole. He told the scriptwriter, who was, by the way, a new scriptwriter, like she was had been an intern before she picked up the, 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 this episode. And he told her that one of Gene Roddenberry's maxims was don't make the villains patently evil, uh, you know, must evil mustache twirling bad guys, you know, but make them people whose values and motivations may differ, but who are seeking what they perceive as their own good. And I have to because, say, because that's what you need to do with villains. Right, right. Mm-hmm. To make them believable or even in, in relatable. Any, in any series, yeah. Right. When, when a villain looks in the mirror, they don't see a villain. Right. Exactly. I mean, yeah, I, without getting into other things. But yeah, it's it. And I, I feel like with the Vidians here, like that, and especially with Sulan. Yeah. I mean, from his point of view, I'm saving my people. I'm doing a good. Um, sure. Some sacrifices have to be made. Durst. But you know we're 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 working here. We're we're gonna we're gonna save lives here. Uh, so it's kind of it. He it becomes a more interesting character, uh, and yeah. and that's why I like that. So the Vidians are infected by this plague called the Phage, mm-hmm. and to deal with it, they have to splice body parts from all these different alien species onto themselves, so they can conduct successful xenoplasty with species from other planets mm-hmm. and they can't cure a single pathogen that is native to their own species. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's not scientifically plausible. Yeah. Um, another scientific implausibility is if you had a person who had a, if you had a person and somehow Klingon and human DNA could work together, which it never could in reality, but if it could, if you had a person and you took their genome apart and made two copies, uh, two, two people out of a single genome, you wouldn't get two perfectly specied uh, 
hmm. otherwise identical people. Um, because what like so in in the case of humans, which Balana is half, um, you have half of your DNA from your mother and half of your DNA from your father. So Balana has a human father and a Klingon mother. So in order to make a fully human Kling, a fully human person and a fully Klingon person out of out of Balana, you'd have to take her dad's DNA and put it together twice to make a human. And you'd have to take her mother's DNA and put it together twice to make a Klingon. But if you took a normal person and and took out their uh, their father's DNA and doubled it and their mother's DNA and doubled it, they would not look like twins. Right. Mm -mm. They also wouldn't look identical to mom or dad either. They would look like some kind of sibling um, and they would think like siblings and they would. You know, um, they would they would not be this like identical enough to be played by the same actress. Now, I I mean, an argument, if you want to try to give this even the benefit of the doubt is, okay. so you take the part of the DNA that's human and you fill in with a typical human DNA, quote unquote, and you take the part that came from the Klingon and you fill in with typical Klingon DNA. I mean, first of all, again, as, as you state, Jimmy, that's absolutely implausible completely implausible but also this isn't the alpha quadrant they don't have klingons running around the delta quadrant how would he know what typical klingon dna would be to begin with i mean the human you could argue well he's seeing the voyager crew and he's got probably gotten scans from other other vidians of what humans look like dna wise but it's so i mean yeah on many even if you want to give them the credit for yeah they could fill in the blanks because this is the 24th century and yeah also, they would be new people and you this wouldn't transfer their memories. It just transfer yep. their genes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's the problem with transporter sp- splitting and splicing. It's just it's wrong. Mm-hmm. Don't do it. It was yeah. wrong when they did the original <laughs> series. It was wrong here. and It was very wrong with two Vicks and don't ever do it again. <laughs> yeah. Incidentally, the uh, so they never we never see the transport process. But at one point, uh Dr. Fauci tells Bellana that um, he he used a matter to energy process as yeah. as part of all this. Yeah, he called it the genotron. Yeah, yeah. But okay, let's we'll we'll get we'll uh, give them the the science fantasy that they've got going here about how it gets done because it's Star Trek. This, there is a lot of effective horror, gothic, body horror stuff going oh, on in this episode. The, the Durst face thing is that is really that is horror. That is <laughs> yeah, horrible yeah. body horror. That is that is uh right up there with uh, uh Silence of the Lambs. I mean that was pretty pretty gruesome. Oh for, man, for a Star Trek yeah. for a show yeah. that kids watch, that's a pretty heavy duty thing Could they you did. Put there. some lotion on that face, maybe. Uh, <laughs> yeah. oh, man, it was. Well, I mean, and just just the whole fact that he did it because, frankly, he was hitting on her. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he also tells her, and it'll save 12 lives. It's like, <laughs> I don't care. That is freaking disturbing. Yeah. Creepy well, scientist <laughs> is creepy. Right. I, I, I thought you'd find this face a little more uh, comforting because, you know, uh, the Vidians just as a as a whole, as a villain, are, are the among the the ones I found the creepiest in, in Star oh, Trek yeah. anyway. I mean, they, they're really uh, creepy. Um, I, I have to say, I'm a little... I, I get the idea of, like, human Balana lacking courage and strength thing because 
all as Starfleet a whole pro- officers do. Well, yeah. that's the problem. Is is like she's human. That doesn't as human beings, we don't necessarily lack courage and strength. I get what you're trying to say. Is is she's been so reliant on the Klingon version of that that mm-hmm. the absence of it she feels much less. I don't know. It just seems a stretch. The the, the more plausible way to play it is. Um, being split like this is an extremely traumatic event and she is experiencing a conversion reaction. Right. She's, she's having to just to adjust to a dramatically new situation uh, psychologically after trauma. And she's folding in on herself uh, to deal with, to deal with it. Well, right. I mean, cause you look at later on when she's magically understanding all the Vidian computer systems, despite not actually ever using them before <laughs> or knowing the language natively. Yeah. Uh, also now she's not afraid anymore. Because she's right. in her comfort zone of, you know, understanding a strange computer terminal that she's never used before. <laughs> Which is, seems to happen a lot. Um, they, they do kind of have this misdirection at first where we're led to believe that the human part of Balana is just thrown away. That we only see the Klingon Balana until the human Balana shows up in the uh, the, uh, the prison barracks with Paris. They, they don't say that, so I think that's a matter of inference, but they do right. wait a long time to introduce human Balana. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like that was like an intentional idea to kind of surprise us after in the second act. Um, yeah, it's like I've seen Star Trek before. I'm not going to be surprised <laughs> with human Balana coming in. Yeah, exactly. Um, so what was the other thing? The, and well, uh, we got, you know, generic cave structure number three that they're mining in, you know, because of course you got to have that too, where the where Paris and Durst until he's before he is, his face is ripped off yes. uh, are being used as slaves because we've never seen that before in science fiction. Stereotypical slave mine. Yes, that we have to do. Yeah. At least they do establish. And, and in reality, you'd have robots doing that for you. I mean, in the future, <laughs> yeah. we had human slaves in the past. We're going to have robot slaves in the future. That's what humanity does. Right. Every culture all or, over the world. Or, hol- so, or holograms, as we find out later. Or holograms, later. yeah. <laughs> um, but it, they do have a nice an interesting twist this time, which is the tunnels change shape, which is why they can't just go in and find them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a little bit of, um, I just got to mention, Neelix in the first season is so annoying. I know. He's annoying in all seasons, but he's, he's especially annoying, annoying in, in this episode than in many well, because there's less than Neelix, like right? Five minutes. <laughs> well, you see him for like five minutes, so. <laughs> well, the thing that gets me with him is like this whole like I'm making comfort food for Tuvok thing, and he and and it's like, it's but he he's annoyed. The thing that gets me about Neelix's whole relationship with 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 Tuvok is the you you would be a better person if you were less Vulcan, and it it, it annoys me because it's sort of looks is the way that extroverts treat introverts introverts Mm -hmm. are flawed people because they're not more extroverted and i guess maybe that's what i'm seeing is like the tuvok just wants to be left alone (laughs) he'd and let him be vulcan no no you only you're only good if you are more emotional did did i don't know that i got from neelix that he was judging tuvok to be flawed because he was too vulcan he's always trying to get him to Open Not up. in this episode. Well, mm-hmm. well, like for example, for example, he gives, makes him the plumic soup, but oh, it was too bland, so I had to spice it up. Right, and you that know? was him being clueless. Yeah, right. 
I just feel like that's sort of the way Neelix operates. And I guess it's just, he's, he's just sort of clueless, but it's kind of well, it's like that contrast of, of Neelix as, you know, Mr. Emotion and feeling and got to make everybody feel good and jealousy and all that versus Tuvok. Who's right. Know, the stereotypical Vulcan. Yeah. Uh, you know, other things, uh, Chakotay going undercover. Um, I, I, I was thinking actually, it would be easier to go undercover as a Vidian because Mm-hmm. It's not like they could recognize you, which comes yeah, well, up, you know? Why, why haven't I seen you before? My face was just changed again. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, that security must be, te- must be difficult as anything at these Vidian facilities. Let's run a DNA scan. Oh, wait. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do they have the ship of Theseus problem with Vidians at any point? I mean, <laughs> I think there's got to be a core in there that remains, but yeah. it doesn't have to be a big core, probably just neural matter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And not even, not even all of that. Yeah. Just the brain has to be the same. Um, so at the end, we, like you mentioned that we've got this, the doctor says we have to change you back because. Plot reasons tell us that we she needs a Klingon DNA to survive. Well, she would. I mean, if you I mean, suppose you have a um, suppose you have a wolf and a dog, and you which is way closer than yeah. human and Klingon. Yeah, and you breed a wolf dog, and then you yank all the wolf DNA out and just mm-hmm. double the dog DNA. That thing very well may not survive. Yeah, um, right. because that wolf DNA was doing stuff. And if you yank out stuff and just double what's there, you may and you, you it may not work, especially. And the bigger the difference between species, the more of a problem that's going to be. But it's yeah, it's not like you. I mean, it's all oh, none of this is possible, but it's not like you're pulling the DNA out of individual cells and shoving them over there. You're you're basically reconstituting a person from the DNA. I mean, that's what, what you would have to be doing. You know, it just it, it doesn't bear thinking too much about it, I guess. But it just doesn't work. This whole idea. Uh, it's I, I, when they do this. tell you what else doesn't work is the reappearance of the ridiculous wrist flashlights that <laughs> yes. they have while they're while they're going around the tunnels. Yeah, it, those things are completely implausible. So if you haven't seen Voyager in a while, mm-hmm. um, they have. Whenever they go into a like subterranean cave environment, which they, they have these, which they do a <laughs> lot, they have yeah. these flashlights that are stuck to their wrists. And so what you have to do instead of instead of po- having the flashlight in your hand, which is designed to articulate things <laughs> so you can swiftly point it around without having to move your whole freaking arm. They've got to wave their whole freaking arm around <laughs> yeah. and to, to point the flashlight where they want to go. And it's it's absolutely ridiculous. I also noticed that Tuvok is wearing. So he's got his he seems to be. Well, he's got the flashlight on one wrist and his phaser is on the opposite hip. So what that would mean is if you because you can't easily twist one arm around to get the phaser on that hip it's a cross draw Um, yeah it's a cross draw so you he would have to use his flashlight arm to (laughs) grab the phaser and pull it out and point it and in all of that he's just taken the light off of whatever it is that's Mm -hmm. attacking him yes and and it's just completely implausible 
Now, plausibility would have by the 24th century, they're going to have little drones with lights on them. Yeah. We yeah. have drones with little lights on them today. That follow you and around even. Yeah. Follow you around and, and follow your gaze mm-hmm. and point it where your gaze is and also look out for additional danger. And so if you see the light shift to something you're not looking at, that would be a sign I better look over there to see what the sensor has picked up. I mean, we are on the verge of doing that now. Probably the military has that now. So these wrist flashlights are just absolutely absurd. But um, it, it, I, it, I, I hate them. I hate them a lot. But- this is one case where I will give Discovery credit. They have tactical suits that they wear in situations like this. You can put the lights on the suit, on a vest. Yeah, and, and you can't, and exactly. You can't do anything with effectively with the hand that's got the flashlight attached to the wrist because you've got to be waving that around instead of doing something else with it. You hold your tricorder there. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, anything left to say on this episode, Father Corey? Glad it was as short as it was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, the only thing is the whole issue of the, the planet shifting without any kind of any kind of actual like earthquakes or whatever. That should have been a clue that there was more going on here than just than yeah. just this is a strange planet. But right, uh, Jimmy. So. Uh, there is a scene in this in which human Balana is talking about her childhood othering issues where mm-hmm. like she mm-hmm. was the only she and her mom were the only people with Klingon heritage in this colony they were on. And then her dad took off when she was five years old and and um, and she tried to hide her ridges and stuff as a child to fit in with other kids. And all of that, it rings true, you know. Um, Kids do experience things like that. Adults experience things like that. And all of that was interesting and nice character, Mm -hmm. uh, character, you know, development, not development exactly, but character background for uh, Balana. I liked that. I I liked that her father was flawed in this situation. You know, that's that's what all this is not consistent with, because all that's consistent with human nature. But all that Mm -hmm. is not consistent with is Gene Roddenberry, where (laughs) by this century, people aren't supposed to have those flaws. And it's nice to see that, no, they do. And that's peeking through the Gene Roddenberry facade because it makes for better storytelling and more interesting characters. Yes. Yes. I I did forget one one more thing Mm -hmm. I want to mention. Uh, Jonathan Glasner is listed as one of the writers. He pitched the idea for this episode. He's Mm -hmm. better known as one of the co-developers of Stargate SG-1, which you can hear about in Secrets of Stargate. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, this was predating that by a couple of years. His name is Jonathan Glasner. 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 Okay, not Albert Glasser, the famous, uh, infamous (laughs) movie score composer for Burt Gordon movies. Okay, (laughs) different. Yes, different Glasser. All right. I think that should do it for this time. Uh, We do want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Jody F., Brian S., Bob L., Jun C., and Leonides S. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek 
and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. We'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. So that's it from us. What did you think of this Voyager episode, Faces? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek, or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Media, or send an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the Enterprise episode, Fusion. Until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. This fusion thing isn't going to involve a transporter and putting two people together, is it? <laughs> oh, I sure hope not. <laughs> and, and once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, I must point out that if you take the liberty of changing a time-honored recipe, you are hardly presenting a taste of home. Which I understand completely. <laughs> Hi everyone, this is Dom Bettinelli, CEO of StarQuest, with a special message as we approach the Christmas season. This past year, the StarQuest Network has continued to expand our mission of exploring the intersection of faith and pop culture through our many entertaining and informative programs. Now we need your generous financial support to reach new audiences with more of the life-changing and uplifting programming we've been creating for more than a decade. That's why it's very important that we hear from you this Advent and Christmas, the time when nonprofits receive most of their support for the year. If you are already a supporter of StarQuest, we thank you and ask you to prayerfully consider increasing your support at this time. If you're not yet a supporter, please become one now. Every gift counts. Could you give $15 or even just $10 per month? Whatever level of support you can offer, please show your support for SQPN this Christmas. And remember that your gifts may be tax deductible. Just go to sqpn.com give. That's sqpn.com give. May God bless you this Advent, and may you have a blessed Christmas season.